one, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that forces our guests to pick three songs that will always revive a memory and a story every time they hit their ears so we can get to know them better. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Sheldon Zolden. Sheldon was born in Youngstown, Ohio, and graduated with a degree in journalism from Ohio State University before it was the Ohio State University. After college, he first worked as a sports writer and editor for a small paper and then a statewide sports magazine. In the late 1970s, he spent a little less than a year working as an editor at Ohio Magazine, which was founded and operated by the infamous Larry Flint, publisher of Hustler Magazine. Sheldon then worked at an experimental cable station called QB that was kind of like interactive TV before its time. He says that was the first and only time he worked in TV. He returned to print journalism and wound up at the news press as a business writer in 1986. He ended up as Metro editor and retired from the paper in 2019. His bio says he's been fooling around with Song of the Day since about 2020. He describes it as part history, part trivia, and all music. In it, he tells a short story every day that ties into music history or historical events and features a song. He distributes it to an email list and on social media. And since February of 2022, it's been added to the WGCU radio schedule on Friday mornings and afternoons. His brief bio ends with, quote, I have zero musical ability, can't carry a tune. Legislatures have passed laws making it illegal for me to sing carry karaoke, but I love music. That legislature thing might be fake news, but we'll give him a pass this time. Hey there, Sheldon. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you in person. You too. I've been enjoying Song of the Day. Thanks. Um, what is the Song of the Day? You had you had to ask me today. Is uh, <laughs> Today was uh, the Yardbirds, Led Zeppelin, uh, Good Times, Bad Times. Hmm. Yeah. How many of those have you done now? Oh, well, I probably have written well over 350 or more, but for uh, WGCU, I think we've been doing it on Fridays since February. What's it like to hear it come out of the radio? At first, it was shocking. And, you know, you really don't like your voice, but it's gotten to be uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I really enjoy listening to them, and I, I think they're pretty good at, you know, trying to figure out how to you know, get more people to hear them. Do you do one every day? I put one out every day. I Seven days a week? Seven days a week. Uh, I have probably only a list of 100 people I email them to, but they're on Facebook pages and, uh, you know, for people to see and hear. We don't need to spend that much more time on this, but for the uninitiated in our listening audience, describe what it is you do. Well, I, and we call it part history, part trivia, uh, all music, and I sort of tell a story every day on a specific day of something happened, maybe in music, or if it's a historical event, I'll try to tie it into music. And uh, I did it, I started doing it, you know, during COVID when I had a lot of time on my hands, and I just started writing them and writing them and writing them, and it became a little bit obsessive, but uh, it's been a lot of fun, and, you know, I probably can 
maybe answer more Jeopardy questions now. Is it scratch that journalism itch for you a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I've been retired for about three years, and uh, it sort of got me writing. And also, I, I like to research. And, you know, with Google and the Internet and everything, it's amazing what you find and what you learn. Were you and your wife listening to music on the way here? No, because it takes us five minutes to get here. Oh, no, no time to ramp up. <laughs> no time really to ramp it up. Uh, so we weren't. Uh, how do you listen to music in the car? Uh, usually I'll stream something or I have Sirius XM and I'll listen to that too. When was the last time you bought music that had a physical form? Wow. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Five more than that, probably maybe 10 years ago. So you're not a vinyl collector or anything like that? No. I, I wish I had some of my vinyl from the old days, but, you know, they take up so much space. I got rid of those. I've got rid of all my CDs now, too. Hmm. So it's all streaming. Or I still have an iPod in the car, though, which people probably go, what? But it's for those days the internet goes out. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it's nice to have. So you were born in Youngstown, Ohio. Correct. How would you characterize the musical background of your childhood? I, you know, I wasn't musical. I mean, I loved music. And I think maybe that's why I love music so much because I have no voice. I can't carry a tune. I can't play an instrument, but I love to listen to music. Uh, my parents, we, you know, they didn't play an instrument. They never sang around the house. Uh, so I don't know, you know, where it came from, but it was just that love of music. Uh, what was the first kind of music that you started to identify with as a younger person? Probably rock and roll. Yeah? I, I would say, yeah. Uh, probably that. Uh, do, you, uh, do you say your parents didn't really listen to music? No, we, you know, we would listen when we were driving, when my parents were driving us someplace, we would listen to uh, rock stations, top 40 stations okay. at the time. Uh, but in the house, we, we only had this little portable uh, record player, and they never bought out records or anything like that. And I think I got, I don't know if it might have been 10th birthday or somewhere around there, for some reason, I got a uh, transistor radio which was, you know, wonderful. I listened to that all the time. Uh, do you remember the stations that you were listening to? W W H O T. Yeah. In Youngstown, that was, was the AM station. AM station. That was the station. And it was playing popular playing top music 40. of the day. Boots Bell. He was the Boots Bell was the DJ. He was the DJ. Funny how that sticks in there, isn't it? Well, it's because <laughs> you know uh, he was the DJ for people to get for their bar mitzvah parties, and they'd have to book them a year in advance. But, uh, did you have a bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah party and did he DJ it? He was not the DJ for ours. <laughs> I had one with a friend of mine we combined. Ours was with Jerry Starr. He was the backup. <laughs> Do you remember what kind of music was being played? Oh, yeah. Just, you know, top. What were the songs? The song, oh, geez. 1965. What did you have? Eve of Destruction. Uh, you know, maybe some Beach Boy stuff. Uh, really you know, specific on it, but it was 1965, so shows you my age. Um, uh, do you remember the first music you owned? The first music I owned probably was an album maybe by The Animals. Okay. I think that would have been it. And you, did you play it at home on the record player that your oh, parents yeah. never used? Oh, yeah. Uh, played, it a, played it a lot. And we had... Uh, 
you know, it was one of these record players that you could play a 33, an album on it, and then it had this other little thing that you'd twist on and you'd be able to put the 45 on that would fit. What did your parents think of the animals? You know, they I probably if they were played it in to my bed. music in the car, then. Yeah, they, I mean, they never, you know, one way or the other said, oh, this stuff's bad or this stuff's good or, or whatever. But they weren't very musical. You know, and they never, you know, said a lot. Were they into the news? Is that why you wound up in journalism? <laughs> no, a little bit. I think it. You know, they were into the news, but they uh, they were too busy working. <laughs> Understood. Uh, before we get to your first song, you don't you say you have no musical talent, but if you could like develop that instantly, which instrument would you choose to be able to magically be prodigious at? Oh, uh, probably guitar, maybe sax. Yeah. The, those would be two. I played I played a clarinet for about six months. <laughs> Uh, played it badly. I think I, I don't know, I cut my finger or something or other, so I had to stop taking lessons at that point, and then I just never went back to it. Hmm. You know, if they figure out the whole meta thing or whatever, we, where you can live in virtual worlds, maybe you can be musicians in virtual worlds. Well, I, I wasn't even, you know, get I'm to, not saying that right. sounds like a great idea, but... <laughs> but, you know, that gar- guitar, that game or whatever it is. Uh, guitar so they, Hero. Yeah, Guitar Hero. Uh, I just didn't even enjoy playing that. I know... We would play it sometimes with our, you know, relatives and people getting gathering together, and it was like, that just doesn't look like fun. It looks like being fake. <laughs> I want the real thing. Uh, okay, well, let, let's get to your first song. Okay, uh, this is the Jimmy Rogers song. Yes, and uh, I'll let me explain it first because I have no idea how it appeared in our house. Like I said, my parents never bought music that I remember. And it was a 45. I was probably six years old, maybe seven when it came out. And I played that and played that and played that. And I knew, didn't understand what it was about, you know. Uh, oh, I'm falling in love again and, and what have you. But for some reason, it it was probably the first record I ever really played. And I don't know why. Uh, did you continue to listen to his music or that kind of music, or was that just this little outlier, little kid it, thing? It, it was a little, yeah, little kid thing. I don't think we and and I think I because I, I've done research on it since, and he had three hits that year uh, with songs, and he also did this Uh Oh Spaghettios commercial later on in, in the sixties. I took that out of Wikipedia. I was going to mention, yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, he he sang oh the honeycomb one of his songs was honeycomb that year too and it became the commercial for the honeycomb cereal later huh. on but uh, I never you know I never really listened to him after that uh, so paint a picture for us here if you're listening to it you're six seven years old like what room are you in what's it look like oh I, I'm, uh, I'm either I'm probably in my bedroom or, or probably in the living room I'm not sure where the record player was you know I was I always think about it and I said maybe my sister got it as a gift but uh, it was probably in like the living room or somewhere playing this thing over and over and over again and singing to it well let's hear it and uh, if you want to sing you can feel free to sing <laughs> I don't think you want that this is Sheldon Zolden's first song today on Three Song Stories this is Oh Oh I'm Falling in Love Again by Jimmy Rogers released in 1958 when was the last time you listened to that? Oh, I listened to it uh, probably a few weeks ago uh, at one point he was one of my songs of the day uh, I, I might have been 
from a day that he was he might have died or born. I'm, I can't remember what I used as a peg for that. So I heard it uh, back then. And he interesting life. I mean, in the, sometime in the late 60s, he was beaten up by some Los Angeles police after a, a stop, a the traffic stop, and he had brain damage and everything, and he ended up suing the city of Los Angeles because it, it hurt his uh, career and everything. So. Huh. Interesting story. I can see how that would be appealing to a six or seven year old. It just got maybe, a little spring in its yeah. step, and it's you maybe, know, yeah, maybe it was the uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there a point at your in your life a little later where you started to maybe have a crush on someone and you thought that's what he was talking about? <laughs> no, no, never thought of that. I think the song went out. You know, it went out of my head for years and years and years after that. I don't think I was an adult again where I started thinking about. Wow, how did that happen? So it wasn't being played at your bar mitzvah? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you were in high school, what was sort of the main musical vibe, and where did you fit into that? Oh, well, it was mid-60s, late 60s, so, you know, there was some psychedelic there. Uh, There was just a lot of good music that uh, was being played, and, uh, you know, we were just enjoying it. Uh, were you and your friends into into the music of the day? Where you oh, yeah. get together and listen to it? And stuff oh yeah, like we were that? listening. Yeah, listening to it a lot. Uh, again, no instrument. I wish, <laughs> I, I wish I could have played something. I, I had a couple friends who were in bands, but uh, that was never going to happen with me. Uh, what? Where did you fit into the social scene in high school? Middle of the road, I guess. I, I a little bit nerdy. Uh, hardly the. Uh, you know, homecoming court or anything like that. But uh, it was just sort of, I was just a regular old average shy guy. Do you have memories of any of your high school dances? No, not of high school. I mean, you know, probably from ages 12 through 14, went to an awful lot of bar mitzvah parties. Okay. And that's where and we- There's fr- a lot. That's it's where like, we it's fr- like weddings fr- for kids. <laughs> right. That's where we, fr- that's where I, you know, first started dancing and, and what have you. But I don't, I don't remember too many uh, dances in high school. Are you a dancer or were you a dancer? Uh, were you obliged to be a dancer not, during that era? Well, a little, yeah, probably. But uh, now I feel self-conscious dancing. <laughs> My wife goes, "Why don't we dance?" And I say, "I don't know. I just, you know, slow dances we're fine at." But I, I think the last time we went dancing, I uh, deviated her septum accidentally <laughs> hitting uh, when when I was dancing. So it's a little bit dangerous. Uh, was there a band or musician that first re- you really locked onto, like a, one in particular that was your thing? Uh, well, of course, the Beatles. Uh, you know, they were they were probably number one. I mean, cliche and all, but at my age, watching them on Ed Sullivan, you know, the first time, like so everybody you saw else it? my age. You're the third oh, yeah. guest now that has has I've said that it. they saw the, that happen yeah, with their so own eyes. Now, my sister actually went to a concert. Oh yeah, yeah, she saw them uh, live. So, uh, wish that would have been possible, but no. And yeah, I saw them live and, you know, they, along with the Beatles and then everybody else, the Rolling Stones, I mean, it just happened, you know. Do you remember your first concert? First concert was The Doors, I believe. Wow. In Pittsburgh in 1969, maybe. How old would you have been at that 17, 17, 16, 17. 17, 17. year old at The Doors concert in 69 sounds pretty good to me. It, it, <laughs> it was, and he behaved. Yeah. Jim Morrison behaved that day. 
So it was it was an excellent concert. Yeah, those were the days when uh, you know concerts were five dollars a ticket, and uh, it was very enjoyable. Uh, were you a student journalist in high school? Yeah, I was on the student paper, but uh, mostly sports writing back then. Was journalism always your um, goal? Yeah, probably. I don't think I could do anything else. I mean, math certainly wasn't, so uh, and music wasn't, so yeah, journalism was. At that time, if you had to have imagined, like, what kind of journalism you wanted to do, what did you even have a – or was it just – I'm going to wiggle into where I, wherever I can at, wiggle in. At the time, and probably for my first few years out of journalism school, it was sports. And then it uh, moved into uh, serious stuff. <laughs> uh, did you go to college for journalism? Yeah. I went at the Ohio State. The well, Ohio no, it State. wasn't. It wasn't. Well, I wanted to clarify It wasn't there. the at that point. When did the become the? Because I, just, I actually pulled that quote just from your rec- bio. Just recently. I, okay, I, mean, I felt like I'd been missing out on something no, forever. They, they got the trademark was approved just recently. But I, I always kid and say, you know, they wanted to add that so they can increase the tuition. Because when we were there, it was just Ohio State. And tuition was very cheap. There, uh, somebody else needs to start uh, an Ohio State University and call it the other Ohio yeah. State University. But the, uh, <laughs> the, so trademark, you know, make more money somehow. Do you have any musical memories stemming from those times uh, at Ohio State? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I mean, there are, you know, concerts, uh, just enjoyed music uh, with my roommates. I remember I talked about that old uh, portable record player. I actually took it on my freshman year, our first quarter there. The Ohio State had quarters at the time, not semesters. And we had to use my portable record player. No, None of my other three roommates had a stereo. So one of them got a stereo uh, for Christmas and brought it back so we could throw out this uh, mono little thing that was a – you know, it was a dinosaur. Were you in a dorm? Yes. So was there just music happening all up and down the aisle in the dorms? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of music every, you know, back, especially back then. I mean, you know, there was a bunch of nightclub type places playing music and you always had acts coming through, you know, uh, Columbus and on campus and stuff like that. This would have been the early 70s then? Seven, yeah, 71 to 74. What were your thoughts when disco started coming around? Oh, uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just, I was never a disco fan and it just sort of, uh, you know, by then I was uh, in my mid-20s and all that and it was like, well, I, I guess things change. Uh, we had a guest on the show. It's actually the episode that comes out uh, today and tomorrow, uh, and he was the same way. He was actually in the um, – I guess they used to, like, pile up disco albums and, like, burn them or run them uh, over with cars or well, something. Well, yeah, one of, my, one of my songs of the day, I think it was in July, was uh, – because they had uh, the White Sox had that disco destruction that must double, be what I'm double header. In my head. And uh, it got out of control. They were expecting 15,000 people maybe, and they ended up with 50,000 And uh, because they had a DJ there who lost his job uh, on his station because it went from rock to disco, and he was blowing up these albums and songs at the, in between games, and it turned into a riot, and they had to, uh, they had to forfeit the second game, and... His dynamite that he used was a little too much, and he put a hole in the outfield. 
Um, so you mentioned you saw the Doors when you were seventeen. Um, that you know that was coming out of that psychedelic era. Was there any psychedelicness happening there at Ohio State in your social circles? Not in my social circles. <laughs> I, I was I was a pretty straight guy. Uh, there, yeah, but there was. I'm sure there was stuff around, <laughs> and, and if not, maybe psychedelic. It, it might have been marijuana, but I was a, I was a pretty good uh, straight guy. So you got through school on time, and then just went out into the world. Four four years. Yep. Okay. Well, let's go to your second song now. Um, this is the Simon and Garfunkel song. How would you like to proceed? Oh, I'll explain things first. Okay. Yeah, I am a rock, and I always look at music as probably the closest thing you have to a time machine. I mean, you can hear a song and it'll, you can go right back to the place. And, and this is one of them. Uh, I don't know why it sticks in my head the way it does, but we were coming back. It was after my first quarter at Ohio State in December, and I was in the backseat of a car. Don't know who was driving us home. And the, mo- or the song came on the radio, and you know it starts a winter day in a deep and dark December, something of that nature. And... That's what it was. It was December. It was sort of gray and typical, you know, Midwestern early winter day and all that. And I just, every time that song comes on the radio or if I hear it streamed or anything, uh, I come back, I go right back to that picture. And you were in a car? I was in a car. What I was kind in of the car? back seat. That I can't tell you. I don't remember who's driving either, but I just remember being in the back thinking, wow, you know, this is one quarter down, you know, and I'm ready to go home and uh, see what's uh, what's up in Youngstown for the winter. Were you a Simon and Garfunkel fan in general? I was. Yeah. I did enjoy them. And I still like Paul Simon quite a bit. Uh, recently, he played at the uh, Folk Festival, and uh, he's on YouTube. Folk, uh, folk Festival where? Uh, the, uh, oh, geez. I just went blank. Uh Around here? No, the one up in every year, uh, one where Dylan did the whole- Newport. Newport, the Newport Folk Festival. Thank you. That's the only one I know from out of yes. state, and you Newport, said Dylan, that Newport was enough. Newport Folk Festival. He just played uh, up there, uh, I think at least on YouTube, I saw three or four songs, and he played with some group that I had never heard of, and then another individual, a woman that he sang- uh, with and then he did Graceland and Sound of Silence, I think, by himself. Hmm. Eighty-two years old, his voice is not what it used to be, but still, it was uh, pretty good. Have you seen him live? Never have. Never have. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as far as you know, transporting you back into that car, it, there's. You know, we know enough about how memories work now that there are literally sort of physical changes in the brain that sort of correlate to memory. So it's like something about that day, like literally implanted something to where here we are, forty years or whatever later. And you're right there. Yeah. Well, let's listen to it. Imagining you in that car. I'm a Rock by Simon and Garfunkel from the 1966 album Sounds of Silence. It's Sheldon Zolden's second song here on Three Song Stories. You said uh, you, you saw the Paul Simon performance recently. You said his voice wasn't what it used to be. Was he? How was he doing with the guitar? He was. He was doing. He was doing good with that. So yeah, that wasn't uh, an issue. His voice was a little bit uh, scratchy and you could tell hmm. but he's you know still great music and uh, it was fun to watch uh, so you made it through college in four years you're a good guy good you know stayed on target 
what was your first job? What was your first job out of college? Uh, my first job out of college was at a small paper in Geneva, Ohio, uh, up on Lake Erie. How far is that from where you were? Oh, it's only probably about a hour from north of Youngstown. Okay, uh, near Cle- It's probably about. 40 minutes from Cleveland, west or east of Cleveland. It's between Cleveland and Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, but it's Geneva on the Lake. Uh, I was in the town, but there's a place called Geneva on the Lake that uh, in the summertime, it's uh, where a lot of people go. I mean, if you want to go swim in Lake Erie. And uh, <laughs> it uh, it was a sport. I was sports editor, sports writer and everything. There were only like four or five people on the staff. And I think I was making $106 a week. Uh, so I did that for maybe a year, 18 months, and I went back to Columbus. A friend of mine got a job with some guy who was starting a sports magazine, uh, which became a statewide sports magazine that lasted for maybe a couple years. <laughs> we were the only people, the, the, the person who put up the money, uh, he said it was the only time he ever lost money in his life. And then from there, uh, the person who had started this magazine got a job with Ohio Magazine that was just starting, and that was Larry Flint's We'll get to that in a second, because I do want to spend some time on that. But when you were covering sports at that first paper, what was – is it was it the local sports? High school. It was a – You were a high school? Almost 100 percent high school. And even – I remember covering, you know, like sixth grade – basketball games or something. It, it was like, it was local. I always use that as a way to sort of crystallize how much newspapers have changed. You know, even maybe 20 years ago, and correct me if I'm wrong, they still were covering high school football. And nowadays it's very much not even, you know, it's hardly county commission meetings, right. let alone high school football games. Can you reflect on that just a little bit before we get to Ohio Magazine? <laughs> it's just sad. It's sad. I mean, you know, to watch what's happening, uh, you know. And I always kid. I say, geez, when I started, uh, you know, newspapers were flourishing. And look what I did to them after all these years. They just kept going down. I blame it on, you know, me. But just kiddingly. It's just, you know, hey, the Internet did it. Yeah. And uh, it's, there's just not a business model where you can survive and cover things the way you used to. And uh, that's not good. It's not good. But mm. sometimes being you know, my age is a good thing. So, okay, uh, Ohio Magazine. We're going to start with the question, okay. whatever happened to the Larry Flint Memorial TV? It went to my parents. <laughs> it, it went to my parents and... I think after they still had it, I believe. Uh, How big a TV was it? Was it, it color was, uh, TV? It was a color. Oh yeah, it was a color TV. Hey, I went big, man. Twenty-eight <laughs> uh, inch. I, you know what was a big TV back then? It was probably like about that. twenty, twenty-two, yeah, 28 maybe something. So uh, I ended after I got done using it, and I passed it on to them, and I'm not sure. What happened to it okay. uh, after that? So now back up and explain what the heck we're talking okay. about. <laughs> uh, I ended up getting a job. It was probably in 1977. Uh, the person who had worked at the sports magazine with me ended up getting a job as managing editor of Ohio Magazine. It was a magazine that Larry Flint was starting. It was his 
you know, he's saying I'm going legit and he created this magazine, a statewide magazine when, you know, Texas Magazine and Monthly and all these city magazines were starting and it was a big thing at the time. So I was there for nine months uh, working and it was a very strange experience. Uh, we were in the same building as Hustler. Which he published just which for he published, who aren't sure, aware. Yeah, he published Hustler and I – was enough down the food chain there that I really never, I don't even think he ever said hi to me. I can't remember. And it wasn't that we saw him every day either. Uh, but uh, I was there when he, uh, well, I wasn't at where he was shot, but I mean, I was working at Ohio Magazine when he had been shot uh, in Georgia. And going back to the television, he gave Christmas bonuses that year, 10% of your yearly salary, uh, which he was, he was, you know, when it came to money, uh, he was not afraid to spend it and to give it out to his employees. But I was a 10% yearly salary and I, of my salary, and I ended up getting a, one of the things I bought was a color television that uh, I called the Larry Flint Memorial Television. So that's how that came about. So I was there for nine months after after he got shot. Well, they were already moving to Los Angeles anyways uh, out of the building. So we were there uh, by ourselves. Just Ohio Magazine was in that building. But uh, his wife took over after he was shot, and she wasn't as giving, <laughs> you could say. And there were a, a lot of layoffs, and uh, I was one of them. And just to flesh it out for the younger listeners who may not know, he started Hustler Magazine, which was like an edgier playboy, and he was a very controversial very much. figure when I the, was there, the culture. Yeah, when I was there, uh, one of the things he said, he was possibly becoming a born-again Christian, and he would fly around the country with uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, sister, who was Ruth Carter Stapleton, and she was uh, an evangelist. And uh, he, yeah, he was... Uh, Controversial to say the least. Got any musical memory stemming from your time at Ohio Magazine? <laughs> that I do not have. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot of memories. Of, he didn't of bring that. bands in, or he anything? did not. No, he had a heck of a Christmas party, but I don't remember any. Uh, I don't remember any musical folks there. Dick Gregory, who was a comedian uh, at the time, he was there, but uh, no bands. Um, I was fascinated to learn about QB. Is that how you Cube. say it? Cube. Cube. Q-U-B-E. Correct. Which you worked with for a while. And it was, if I get it right, it was like like kind of bi-directional cable access TV in the late 70s and early 80s? Right. It was uh, – it was Warner, Interactive somehow? Interactive. Uh, it was the internet before the internet, I guess you could say. Warner Amex. Uh, American Express Warner and American Express came together uh, to do this experimental uh, cable. I mean, that was one of the ways everybody was trying to get franchises at the time, all these cable companies. And that was one of the things that uh, Warner Amex was using sort of to get uh, cities to vote for them. And it was two-way interactive cable. There was a box that you had at home. And there were on the left hand side there were like five buttons and there were thirty channels at the time, which was, you know, this is when HBO was just coming out and some of these other uh places, uh cable uh channels. 
And but we could ask the people at home a question and give them five and they choices. Can hit a button and on they that could hit a button interface. and within about, you know, twenty seconds or whatever, you'd get the answer. So you would know. And uh, American Express got involved because they thought that would be a great way to sell stuff. Yeah. It's like uh, home shopping network right. before but home it, shopping. And it was ahead of its time and it I think it started December first, nineteen seventy seven. They went on the air and uh Cube itself, probably by 83 or 84, they had pulled the plug on it. I think it lost like $25 million or something for uh, for Warner. But it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I had never worked in television before. Uh, what got, was your job? Like, well, you originally doing? they were doing, and they sued to get Ohio State football. Uh, they ended up getting five Ohio State football games pay-per-view. Uh, and they worked out an agreement with the NCAA and all that because that was at the time when you know you only could have three games. You could only be on TV three times over two years or whatever. And uh, so I, because of my past as in, at Ohio State and everything, and I had a pretty good idea of covering Ohio State football and all that, and a friend of mine was working there, and he got me involved in this new show that they had dealing with Ohio State football and also the football games. So that got my foot in the door. From there, we did, like, interactive uh, box. It was sort of cool because uh, I think Leonard Duran fight, uh, there was a pay-per-view, but the people at home could judge the fight, and the people who had the closest uh to the card on what the judges had. They won a trip to Aruba or something, things like that. And I did a, I ended up producing a game show that had no studio contestants. Only the people at home played. Huh. So it, it was a learning experience. It was certainly something different. Well, it also kind of maybe prepared you for what was to come because when the internet started coming around and that sort of bi-directional communication, you already kind of had experienced yeah. it in a way that a lot of yeah. people hadn't. Well, yeah, that's true. And, but it was very interesting to see how people necess didn't necessarily want to interact with their TV. <laughs> you know, like with the game show, it'd be interesting. We, I, I don't know how many questions we ended up having per show, but after each question, if they missed it, the touch-in rates would get lower and lower because they could no longer win. I see. And it was so, you know, huh. but we learned we learned a, a lot about that. Uh, what brought you to the news press, and when was that? Mid eighties. Eighty six. I went. I got to the news press uh, after Cube. I ended up deciding that really I wanted to get back into newspapers, and I got a job at a smaller paper down in Chillicothe, Ohio, as a business writer, and I was there for about 18 months maybe. I'm not sure how long. It wasn't that long, and I ended up uh, getting uh, a job down here. It so you just, just came, a, came here for the job? Here, had you I ever been to Florida never, before? I had been to Florida for only a couple days, and this was the first time I'd ever been down this far south. Yeah, hmm. And so you were there until 2019, so that's what – a uh, long time. That's, yeah, that's uh, – is that 33 years? Yeah, I think that was – 33 years. What so, roles did you fill there over uh, the years? Started out as a business writer, then became a Metro reporter, uh, assistant Metro editor for nights and a night Metro editor. And then, you know, I was Metro editor for years and years and assistant, I, different titles, you know, but doing mostly the same thing, editing and, and planning local copy. So they had all kinds of, uh, you know, titles. I think at one point I was a, 
an assistant managing editor for local news. But you were just, we, we call it around here making radio. Like there's yeah. all these different things we do, but it's just making yeah, radio. You were just, making newspaper. We were making newspaper. <laughs> it, it was, and then we were making online. So, you know, it, it was... It was different uh, and trying to get your train of thought uh, and remembering that the Internet's first and yeah. it's not print. So and sometimes it's We've had our own difficult. version of that here, but it's certainly not impacting us the same way yeah. that it impacted you guys because so. we never relied on it for ad revenue, whereas I know that was yeah, part of the yeah. big problem. Um, did you ever get to cover music stories? No. No? Never did. I, I you know, I think I did one movie review once. Hmm. <laughs> and that's what led to Song of the Day. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think I did one movie review, one movie review but never any uh, music. Hmm. Uh, before we get to your third song, let's talk about concert experiences. Have you been to many in your life? I, as a, you know, kid, yeah, or as a young... Younger person. Younger person, let's say, uh you know, living where I did, grew up where I did in Youngstown, we were half, about 60 miles from Pittsburgh, 60 miles from Cleveland, 35 miles maybe or so from Akron. So there are a lot of uh, acts coming in through there. Blossom Music Center is a huge, and I think it still is a place for acts to come in the summertime and play. So uh, got to see... The James, this was a this was an interesting one because it was the in Cleveland the James Gang opened. James Taylor, who I had never heard of at the time, came out in the middle act. He just played his guitar. And this was, I think, nineteen seventy. And then the Who. Wow, <laughs> that's a real weird mixture. That is of a people. real weird. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I mean, things like there were a lot. And then you know, Elton John. I saw a couple times early on at Ohio State and. Uh, I think the Eagles opened for yes one time that I saw. So that that's a way back when they were maybe just starting out. So they got to see, you know, and here not as many. Uh, John Prine, who's one of my all-time favorites, uh, saw him a couple times here at Barber B. Uh, but uh, haven't seen too many Axel recently. Uh, okay, it is time for your third song. This is a more modern song. Okay, and this song... My wife and I, we don't even really like this song that much. We love the story, though. Uh, I'll follow you anywhere. And, and I guess she is a Nor- Norwegian. I think she's from Norway, the, the woman who sings it. But the story is I was getting a couple wisdom teeth taken out. And my wife, who at the time was a journalist, was on deadline that day. And when she dropped me off, she asked them not to call her until it was he was ready to leave, you know. So they call her. She comes down, and again, she's on deadline, and she's really not sure that I'm ready to leave. <laughs> and she and she says to the nurse, basically, is he, you know, ready to go? And the nurse says to me, uh, "Will you follow her?" And I said. I'll follow her anywhere. <laughs> and that melted her and my wife, of course, and got a lot of brownie points out of that one. But uh, that later on, I don't remember how long after that I was driving and I had on uh, the coffee house on Sirius XM and I hear this song called I'll Follow You Anywhere. So I had to, you know, I had to buy it on iTunes and make a copy of it on a CD and give it to her for her birthday or for her our anniversary. I don't remember which, but uh, 
that's how that song came about, and it's just, you know, it's just one of my favorites because of that. It reminds you of your wife and being drugged up after tooth <laughs> surgery. <laughs> no, it just, so anyways, I just, uh, but I'll follow her anywhere now, too, so uh, it's, it's how I ended up with that song. Well, let's listen to it through that lens. This is I'll Follow You Anywhere by Monica Heldahl yeah. uh, off her 2013 album Boy from the North. It's Sheldon Zoldan's final song on this episode of Three Song Stories. Y'all ever dance to that song? No, we haven't. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, We'll have to do that. <laughs> we will have to do that. Do uh, you and her have aligning musical tastes? And if there are any divergences, can you share them with us? Uh, yeah, I think they're pretty close. I'm probably a, like a little louder music, a little more electric than she does. But we like a lot of the same stuff, yes. Do you play music around the house? Uh, not like enough. collectively speaking, yeah. You know? Well, sometimes I mean we'll we'll play it, but we probably uh, it's more in the car uh, than at home. But sometimes, hey Alexa, play so and so, you know. Yeah, you can say play. Hey Alexa, play. I'll follow you anywhere, and then you could dance with her That's, in the kitchen. We will do. We will do that. <laughs> uh, okay, you ready for a speed round? Uh, sure. Do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you would be willing to share? Uh, when I was young. Some people used to call me Shelly, and my mom hated it. And uh, only one friend of mine from back then, who I had not seen in years and years and years, I saw uh, a few years ago, and he called me Shelly, which was sort of funny. But other than that, no. Did you hate it, or did your mom? Is your mom who nipped it in the my bud? My mom hated it more than I did. Hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one. You don't karaoke, do you? I am not allowed. You're not uh, allowed? Legislatures, state legislatures, city councils, they've passed laws against <laughs> me singing. <laughs> they've got 365 it's, Sheldon can't sing in public days no, a year. <laughs> they, you can't. They, didn't, they do not allow it. Now, we were uh, somewhere last summer, and they were doing karaoke, or karaoke and I said, no way. <laughs> okay, speaking <clears throat> of not being able to sing and there being laws about it, okay. uh, so we've been asking people on the show if they have any TV theme songs committed to memory. And we've recently started asking that question in advance. So we actually have Car 54, Where Are You? We have the lyrics right here. So we're going to do this thing. Okay. And I'm sure that shows my age. People are probably going, <laughs> Yeah, well, real quick, tell us about the show because I didn't – I you was never, not familiar with it. Oh, gosh. must have been early 60s. Uh, and it was these two bumbling police officers in New York – Tootie and Muldoon, I think it was, or something or other. And I just, for some reason, that theme song stuck in my head. Usually it's Gilligan's Island, but for me it was this one. Well, let's do this. Okay. You ready, Jared? Oh you, Jared, gosh. you got to get your mic on, I'm too. I'm ready. Okay. No, we're here. Uh, we're here. I don't, okay. <laughs> there, should I start? There's a hold, hold up, up in, in the, the Bronx. Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's, There's a, a scout trash on a child. Cruise ships do an idle while. Car 54, where are you? <laughs> and they just keep repeating it. I mean, it's, but anyways, that, that was uh, one of my favorites. Oh, that's good. I'll have to look I'm, it up because that's that seems like it'd be a fun show from that era. Yeah, right? It's It looks... Uh, Interesting. I, I I think I remember that last part though. Where are you? Mm. It's from somewhere, and I guess it's from this. 
You look like you were going to say something. Silence. No, I, got, and I said, I mean, that, that's sort of what got me, you know, interested in New York Did City. Did you ever consider going to New York City? Not to live, no. Uh, but that would have, uh, you know, I always wondered, okay, where's the Bronx and Brooklyn and all these things? I Who's think Khrushchev? That was well, you probably reason. knew who Khrushchev, yeah, Khrushchev was at was that time at in the that world. Point. Huh. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter on? Okay, this is going to be weird. I'm a loser. Because I by Beck, uh, no, by the Beatles. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I think that would give the other opponent of being overconfident. I think if they hear that, what would your wrestler name be? Groucho, because I love the Marx Brothers. Uh, you could come out in costume and walk around half bent, and you might be able to get Chico and Harpo as a tag team, and maybe do the three Sto- against the Three Stooges. Oh, that's a great answer. So that's that, Are you a wrestler fa- wrestling fan in general? Oh, no, I, I <laughs> no, I no. If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind that was a distilled you, what would it contain? Oh, maybe tequila. Yeah. I guess uh, I'm not a much of a drinker, but uh, that's that's one thing I did have a few uh a few too many of at times. Understood. If you had to guess, what song would you say you've listened to the most times? Maybe Brown Eyed Girl, Faye Morrison. Yeah. Song you wish you could hear again for the first time? Ooh. Oh, maybe Angel from Montgomery? Huh. I just think that's an amazing song. That's John Prine, right? John Prine, yeah. You saw saw him live here? I've seen him twice here. You saw him twice? Yeah. Yeah. It's the saddest, saddest I would love thing. to have seen him live. You know, when he passed away, I knew his songs, but I didn't really – like I'd never seen young John Prime. And I went on YouTube and I started watching, you know, some of the stuff when he was first coming around. He was so cool. Well, I won an album I think when I was maybe a sophomore at Ohio State University uh, in some kind of trivia contest there. And one of the things I won was – I think it was his third album. I had never heard of him before. And I was hooked after that. Um, album you wish you could hear again for the first time? Oh, um, let me see here. How about Emmett Road? Now Rhodes. Now there's a somebody you probably haven't heard of either, and I discovered him way back when he was. Uh, the album was by the. His titled Emmett Rhodes, it was his first album, and he was uh, played all his instruments by himself. He sounded a lot like Paul McCartney, and uh, that was a revelation of him. And I rediscovered him in the past several years thanks to the Internet. Huh. He's ever been a Song of the Day candidate? Well, he was you, you way back. One year, a couple years ago, I did Songs of the Day uh, in December. I I paid tribute to uh, singers who had died that year. And I just, when I was doing research, he just name jumped out at me. I said, oh my God, you know, I hadn't heard about him in a long time. Um, What would you say is the most overplayed song of all time? Oh, maybe yesterday. I mean, I do like the song, but it seems like it's, you know, it's played an awful lot. that's a toughie, though. I'd have to almost think about it. Are there any songs that you'll avoid listening to because you just can't stand them or they're overplayed? And 
are there any that you don't want to listen to because of the way music brings you back? These are tough questions. Macarena, maybe. <laughs> I just had that. That's a, that was a song of the day a few uh, a few days ago, I think, or maybe last week. And it was like, oh, geez, I, you know. It what brought, memory does it bring you back? No, I'm kidding. It, it, no, it, it brings me back the people doing it that I just got tired of watching do it. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every human at once, which would you choose to do that with? Maybe My Life by the Beatles. That's a good answer. Are there any albums that you'll always try to, you know, want to listen to in their entirety because you like them as a whole? Oh, T for the Tillerman, I think, was one of my, I just think, from Cat Stevens. Oh. It's just a great album. I don't, there's not a bad song on it. I need to listen to some more Cat Stevens. It's been a long time. I haven't thought that name in a while. Yeah. Um, what album would you choose if you could only listen to that one ever again? Probably that one. Yeah? Can't, yeah, I, I think so. Do you have a favorite band? Well, I mean, the Beatles were, but uh, there's there's so many of them. I mean, I like the Eagles. I just, there's a lot of them that I, you know, nobody's really one favorite. Um, are there any uh, recent ba- you know bands or musicians that have come into your rotation? Dawes. And they're not that new a band, I guess, D-A-W-E-S, Dawes. And I think I discovered them, and for me, they were new. And it, But I looked up, and they've been around since like 2005 what or 2006. What kind of music six. is it? It's sort of a, not folk rock a little bit. I mean, I really love their lyrics. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, a little bit of rock it's a mix. When we presented you with this show, what um, was the process that you used to find these three songs? My brain. <laughs> I just started. <laughs> I, I thought know, right? with the thing between yeah. my ears. No, I mean, I, and I just, th- you know, and now that I've, I've been listening to the show a lot over the last six months since I've been doing Song of the Day and everything, and uh really just sort of what popped in my head at the time and some of those like uh the simon and garfunkel song i mean that thing just keeps i've always wondered why that does what it does and i also thought uh you know looking for really good stories and that's what i was trying to find um was there a fourth song that almost made it I only I didn't go past three. <laughs> okay, you didn't start with six and no, whittle down. You I, I built did not. up. To I three. said I know these these three. Uh, you could almost pick any song for the second one. I mean, as a time machine, there are probably an awful lot of them. But this is the one that always sticks out to me. Um, this is where we get psychological. What would your fourteen year old self think of who you are with us today? <laughs> Say, well, he's still a little nerdy, and he hasn't changed that much. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to your fourteen-year-old? Do what you're doing; you'll, t- no, you'll turn no, out fine. Just do, no, just do the opposite of what I'm doing. Uh, just be yourself. Uh, life is short, and try to make the best of it. Hmm. Time to recommend your three people. Okay. Uh, First one I'll start with is Mark Bickle, one of my former colleagues at the News Press, who he he does love his music, and uh, we you know we have shared some music from time to time. 
Another also, uh, Corey O'Donnell and Kristen, Kristen O'Donnell, husband, wife, uh, they're just great people. They both work in marketing in, in Southwest Florida, and they have a, a Florida Freak Show website and Florida Freak Show podcast. I think they're still doing the podcast where they'll talk about weird news in Florida. Uh, it's really it's funny. Uh, they do a nice job. And the f- last one, John McKinney, who lives in Portland, Oregon, he, he visits uh, Fort Myers once a year, usually in the wintertime. But back in – good friends with my wife. Uh, they grew up together. But he was in a band in Fort Myers back in the 60s that was the band. What was it? Uh, Painted Faces. Huh. As a matter of fact, if you asked Alexa, play music by Painted Faces – They'll play it. I think, you may have just done that to somebody mm-hmm. in their kitchen on a Saturday morning <laughs> at 10.56. A, hey, there's a story about that. We were in New York <laughs> staying at somebody's apartment, uh, Airbnb, and we always just sort of laugh because we say, good night, Alexa. Well, we did it there without realizing there was an Alexa in the bedroom, and all of a sudden we hear, good night. <laughs> and it was like, Whoa. But uh, John McKinney, uh, they recorded, I think they even recorded an album in New York. And uh, he also made news here because he wouldn't get his hair cut, I believe, at one point, And they kicked him out of school. So I, I found uh, that headline in an old news press at one point. Kicked him out of Fort Myers High? Yeah. No, I, I think it was at Cyprus. It was at <laughs> Cyprus. But uh, he's in Portland now. And uh, his... Uh, his sons were very uh, successful uh, recording Christian music. Huh. And, you know, he he would be a great person to talk to, especially if you're looking at the history of music in the 60s in Fort Myers. Oh, yeah. And I love learning little slices of Fort Myers history, and that yeah. seems like rich for that. And we have access to a studio in Portland, so yeah. we can make that work. So I'll have- and, and Mark Bickle has been uh, recommended on this show before. Oh, really? And Uh-oh. if I'm not mistaken, the ball was in his court because I think I reached out to him. But if I didn't and you're listening, Mark, I apologize. But we would love to have you. I'll, I'll have to, uh, you know, give him my two cents worth. Okay. Well, uh, any final thoughts? You did it. It's, it's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, thanks for doing it. Well, thank you. We make three-song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chin Kui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and host. Jared the Intern Gonzalez is our production assistant. Christophus is our executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. If you'd like to hear a slightly shorter version of this conversation, but one that contains longer versions of the songs, Go to WGCU.org and just click the Listen tab at the top of the page. For this week's parting tune, we're going back three years to episode number 79 with the one and only Dick Spotswood. Dick has hosted the Dick Spotswood Show on WAMU Public Radio in Washington, D.C. since 1967. He records it from his home in Naples. And he founded Bluegrass Unlimited magazine in the mid-1960s. Now 85 years old, Dick is 
is a legend in the world of musicology and has been personally responsible for the reissue of many thousands of recordings of vernacular music in the United States over the course of his life. We took the show on the road for his episode, driving down to Naples, where we sat down with him in his living room. His first song was Meet Me Around the Corner by Big Joe Williams, released in 1941. He said he first heard this version more than 50 years ago and had been looking for a copy of it for decades when he finally stumbled across one about a year before we talked with him. I visited a, a northern record collector last winter, and, and I, he showed me a list of records he had, and I saw that, and I said... I have been looking for that record ever since I was a kid. And, you know, just to, to flatter him. and make, Instead, his reaction was, here, give me a dollar. And I, I wanted to write him a check for $300. Well, I did. He tore up the check. Oh, yeah? And, but he did make me give him the dollar. And, <laughs> and, and this, is, this is what I got. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. I hate to say it, I, you know, peed myself right there.